0: Welcome to the Millionaire Next Door podcast with Robert Curtis, CFP, Accredited Investment Fiduciary from Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. In this podcast, we help successful wealth accumulators like you looking to transition to a work optional lifestyle by helping you build strategies for growing and maintaining your wealth. Robert draws from years of experience and fiduciary responsibility and interviews guest experts to help you build reliable strategies to grow and maintain your wealth. Now, on to the show.
1: There is a team that backs up Robert Curtis in his role as a financial advisor. That team includes researchers. And Robert's guest is Sam Miller, the Director of Research and Marketing at SEIA. Now, Sam works with the company's investment committee and contributes his expertise to portfolio construction and investment selection. So, Robert, tell us about the focus of your discussion today.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Patrice. Uh, absolutely. I, I do have a team, a pretty extensive team that backs me up that not everyone sees all the time. Uh, we always talk about our people, our practice and our process. So, Um, The team is integral in that process, and I wanted to bring on a guest today who's Sam Miller. He's the uh, director of research for our firm, Uh, so you may not always see him or hear from him. Sometimes he goes out on materials, but we, we do engage him in client conversations when it's needed, and I read a lot of the research reports and materials that come out, from our research department, along with others that help me formulate my opinions and provide advice and guidance to clients. So wanted to bring him on for a conversation about some of the areas we're thinking about at this time. We're recording this. Uh, this is November 14th, 2022, just to put that into context for folks. So welcome, Sam. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit and then maybe talk about your role at our firm and, and with a team such as mine?
1: Thanks, Rob. Uh, happy to be here today with you. And as you mentioned, I have the the privilege of leading research efforts here at SEIA. And there's a, a team of folks behind me, more than a dozen at this point, of highly qualified investment professionals. And our team's mission is to essentially bring best-in-class investment strategies to our financial advisors and their clients to help them build portfolios that stand the test of time. so that can include portfolios of traditional stocks and bonds or in, in certain cases it could include things like alternatives or, or other types of strategies like that.
2: Great, great. Alternatives is something we've been using a lot and I've introduced a lot of clients too but I, I still think that may be a new uh, a new term for a lot of folks or one they don't fully understand. Could, could you share a little bit about how, how we view that, what alternatives means, what you're seeing, how they've traditionally worked, what, why one even would consider that, maybe all that?
1: Exactly. So it can be a confusing buzzword that you might hear from other advisors, from the media and in other places, and and rightfully so. Historically, it's been an area that. Has gotten a bit of a, a bad reputation because it can oftentimes be associated with higher fees, lack of transparency, lack of disclosure, lack of registration with the regulatory bodies. And But, but in simplest terms, we really can categorize it into, into two different areas. And I like to think of it as follows. So one group of alternatives would be something that you could add to a traditional portfolio of stocks and bonds and either improve the diversification by reducing your equity exposure to the markets, or maybe reducing your interest rate risk on the fixed income side, and really serve as a, uh, a portfolio diversifier. So that's the first category of alternatives. Uh, the other one would be more for uh, special situations. So something that you're looking to deploy from a tax perspective, or something else that's really seeking to to solve for a very specific situation, so keep it as simple as possible. One bucket you've got diversifiers, the other bucket you've got special situations, alternatives.
2: That's great, and then um, I like how you put that, uh, but but a lot of your role in in research and diligence is to sort of ferret out the things that might not be appropriate or where the fees or the structures don't really work for our clients because we're, we're fiduciaries in this process. So we talk about, I guess, some of the processes you use to help help develop the lineup or the alternatives that, that might be worthy of consideration for going into portfolios. How, how do you separate sort of what's um, best in class and what you think is uh, fiduciarily responsible versus some of the things that that probably just you wouldn't recommend or wouldn't work for a client?
1: Sure. So philosophically, we uh, we talk about being a fiduciary, and ultimately, we've got to feel strongly about what we put in client portfolios and what we recommend to clients. It, it's got to meet certain thresholds for us. And uh, in the alternative space, where is that? Where there is this sometimes lack of transparency, um, it requires us to go the extra mile, and sometimes the extra two or three or four miles to to get to the bottom of. What an investment is, how it works, what the incentives are, and so I would say for for a typical alternative, it it takes a lot more time and energy to to get to that level of comfort than it might take for a plain vanilla ETF or or a mutual fund. But that's all in the benefit of our clients because from a alternative perspective, we want to stay in the middle of the fairway. We don't want to run the risk of Of things going sideways, especially for our clients um, in in their portfolios. So there are some strict rules that we have to abide by. We're not going to invest in the the latest flashy thing. Like think of the things that have had trouble recently: meme stocks, spacs, crypto. We're largely avoided a lot of those, those things. And maybe a year ago, we had certain clients saying, "Well, why won't you? Why won't you do that for me?" And you know, maybe it was frustrating at the time, but in the grand scheme of things, I think everyone's pretty happy that we've sidestepped a lot of those problems that have, have plagued certain areas of the market in the last year. And that's just an example. And uh, a benefit of our process is the fact that we've got a checklist that we've got to adhere to, we've got a, a discipline, and, and it largely helps us to sidestep a lot of these issues that can come up.
2: That, that's great. And and I have a lot of confidence and rely on that process as well. I, I love how you phrase it, the middle of the fairway, because uh, times I have played some golf, usually the middle of the fairway is a pretty good place to be, unless there's really a great reason to be outside of it. It, it keeps you out of uh, trees and all kinds of obstacles. And that's the way I view it, too. For most clients, we're looking for core exposure and we're looking to reduce risk and things that might diversify their portfolio, but but bring additional elements in that could be helpful in a year like this year, 2022. It's been a very challenging year for markets, both both stock markets and bond markets, in the wake of you know rising inflation and interest rates. Uh, what are some of the spaces you see? I know I know private real estate, things like corporate lending. Um, maybe talk about a few of these alternatives, what they would look like and how they how they do provide this diversification and lower correlation. And just to throw one other concept out there, talk about, I guess, institutions or endowments or entities like that would typically have a percentage, a pretty decent percentage of their overall portfolio into allocations like this. Go ahead. <laughs> take yeah, Take all those if you would.
1: <laughs> we've we've paid pretty close attention to what the, the institutional players have done historically and, and certainly pay attention to what they've been doing recently. Think of the the big endowments out there. And that's not just because I, I certainly respect the work that they all do. That's absolutely the case. But also because more and more these days, folks in our space, high net worth individuals, mass affluent, actually have access to some of the same or similar types of vehicles. And that wasn't the case 10, 10 20 years yeah. ago. So it's not just because I, I like following what the Yale endowment's doing. It's also because we also have access to, to some of these things. So, you know, think about how an endowment invests. It invests, you know, in, in perpetuity, invests for, for generations to come and it can take on some illiquidity risk. It can afford to, to tie some assets up for, for long periods of time. And most of our clients don't have that same ability to t- to take on illiquidity, but but some might if they're planning for generations to come as well. So there are certain similarities there. So we certainly pay close attention to to how those types of institutions are are allocating assets, um, but then thinking about some of the specific s- sub asset classes within alternatives. You alluded to a couple of them. They've they've weathered the storm relatively well this year compared to more, more liquid options. So private credit through the end of September was, was down in the, the, the mid single digits on average for, for private credit type vehicles. And then real assets, thinking about real estate, commodity oriented alternative funds, those are up about double digits through September. Those tend to do really well. In a uh, inflationary environment, so to the extent that investors came into the year with, you know, a, even a small sleeve of alternatives, it really helped to to weather the storm in uh, in the more traditional stock and bond markets. And so, does that mean they're always going to hold up that way? No, but I think there are opportunities as we go forward as well. So if you can think about carving out a ten percent sleeve. for for alternatives it it can make make sense for a lot of clients and maybe that sleeve needs to be bigger depending on your specific goals and objectives or maybe maybe it should be smaller Uh, but but think about maybe starting to carve out that sleeve and, and benefiting from the diversification properties of these alternative assets
2: that's great and and that that's how i view it as well we're we're starting to see that i i thought of a little bit of an out there analogy but i um I remember hearing, you know, years ago when the the human genome was sequenced and uh, I believe it was just Steve Jobs got his, he got his whole genome sequenced and it cost millions of dollars. And I don't know how long ago that was, but now I think you can have that done for well under a thousand dollars. So a lot of people can afford it. It's almost like this. It's kind of like it's moved down and we do the diligence, but these, these types of Alternative investments could find a place in a normal portfolio. Uh, you you talk about like an endowment being a much longer time frame, like the Yale endowment or Princeton or something like that. Um, but in 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 actuality, that what I see sometimes is I have second, third generation clients. We might be talking about several generations down the line. The, you know that responsibility to grow, to protect principal, to continue income. Um, in some ways, I see some analogies, and I'm, I'm curious if you see it that way as well, but we, we could be talking, you know, 100 years, in some cases, through multiple generations. We, we might not even be around to serve them, someone else will be, but that corpus will still be there and those needs and those future generations will be there. So that, that's just what comes to my mind, having, you know, dealt with it on the front lines.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the that's the beauty, I think, in in working with an advisor like yourself is understanding what the goals are for the specific client relationship, and understanding are they thinking five years ahead, or are they thinking fifty or or more years ahead, and that really helps to shape, you know, the the portfolio construction and and the asset allocation piece.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. And so. Yeah, I invite anyone if you want to have a conversation. And a lot of times I'm bringing it up with clients, but we can always go deeper in that space. I wanted to pivot a little bit to another area that comes up um, with a fair amount of regularity. This would be folks with concentrated stock positions, I would say, uh, relative to say their whole portfolio value or their net worth. They might have one stock or sometimes two stocks that are a very disproportionate proportionate percentage of their portfolio. And they might have held that for a very long time and have a large, unbedded, what we call unrealized capital gain. In other words, if they were to liquidate that and diversify, that could be very costly from a tax perspective. So there's multiple strategies, but but, um, I'd like you to delve into some of these strategies. And then also, um, it seems kind of obvious, but you might want to expound on this single stock risk and why give some garden variety examples of why, why that can be a big deal. It's um, you know, if someone has Honeywell or something, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Uh, But there's other, there've been a lot of household major names that all of a sudden um, you know, General Motors, General Electric, their situations changed dramatically and it got viewed very differently. So kind of teeing up on, I'd like to maybe ask you to comment on, on some of that space.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right and uh unfortunately to the extent there's a single position in someone's portfolio that represents a, a larger and larger piece what we often notice is there's a an inverse relationship in their ability to to think clearly about it. So if I've if I've got 20%, 30%, 40% of my wealth tied up in a single name uh the decision to either hold it or sell it or wind it down, kind of becomes clouded, and it really helps to have a, an unbiased third party help you with that and navigate through some of those challenges. But you're right. Yeah, you know, think about just 2020. A couple of years ago, uh, there were plenty of household names that experienced a bankruptcy: Hertz, J.C. Penney, Frontier Communications, Ad- Advantage Rent a Car, Peer One Imports. Those are you know pretty. St- Strong brands at one point in time, arguably, you know, whether they, how strong they were in 2020, obviously they, in hindsight, they did experience a bankruptcy, but at one, at some point in time, there were plenty of people who hold, held those stocks and felt really strongly that they were in a high quality, quality name, just based on the, the, the brand itself and all those experienced a bankruptcy. So that goes to, to the, the point of just because it's a strong brand or maybe was a strong brand at some Point in time doesn't mean you should have an outsized position in your portfolio, and and that's something we can certainly help with. Uh, I think there's a couple solutions to think about. Maybe maybe no one best solution, but there is a spectrum, and we can certainly walk you through the the pros and pros and the cons uh, of each of them. The first one being what's called an exchange fund, and without getting into the the nitty-gritty details that it essentially essentially allows someone to exchange single stock risk for market risk. So basically, let's say you've got a million dollars in Microsoft and it's an outsized position. You could potentially contribute that stock into the exchange fund and receive a, a basket of securities in exchange for that. So instead of having your risk tied up exclusively with, exclusively with Microsoft. It would be market risk, and that market risk might be the S and P five hundred or the Russell one thousand or something like that. And then after seven years, you can withdraw that basket of securities from the portfolio, and you you don't have to pay uh pay any taxes until you sell. And then a third one, which is probably the the most recent addition in the last several years, is uh, what are called qualified opportunity zone funds. These came out as a result of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act back in December of 2017. This was an effort to, to stimulate the economy and specifically different communities around the, the U.S. Every governor of every state designated certain opportunity zones. We've got them all over the place here in California. And the whole idea was to encourage long-term private investment in uh, underserved communities. So the way that it works is, let's say, again, you've got your million dollars in Microsoft. It's it's a highly appreciated position. You sell that Microsoft stock. Normally, you'd have to pay a capital gains tax on it on your uh, your next tax filing. But in the case of qualified opportunity zone funds, as long as you roll that gain into a qualified opportunity zone fund, that tax is deferred until you file your 2026 tax returns you get tax deferral up until your 2026 taxes are filed and then on the new investment in the opportunity zone fund as long as you hold it for 10 years it gets a step up in basis after 10 years uh so again it's a somewhat complex vehicle um we're i'm barely scratching the surface here but we'd love to have a conversation with you on this versus an exchange fund and then a handful of other strategies that we could deploy as well.
2: No, that's great. And um, boy, as as you describe these, if you're listening to them, I, I've dealt with a lot of situations where people have these concentrated stock positions. And, you know, often they've had it for many, many years. So it's an ongoing Concern maybe it's held up okay, but you're right. It, it could fall off. Just just look at Meta or Facebook this year, right? I mean, it's down a lot. Uh, it's it's moving in a very different direction. So a lot of times, if that is in your portfolio, I'll just really make this an invitation, or to, to anyone who's listening or knows somebody who might be in a similar situation, we can have this kind of educational conversation of the the alternatives, and it might be piecing different pieces of the strategies together, but so that you, you know what they are um, and that you, you, you certainly, most people do not want to just implement and do this themselves. They don't have the experience to know all the different strategies, how they work together, all the pros and cons. We, we can work from purely an advisory capacity to really spend the time we've gotten on the phone quite a bit with clients. I can bring Sam on we have this conversation we go what you know feels right for them maybe they take action maybe they don't probably more often than not we're just simply educating on what these strategies are but it's again it's coming from a purely advisory perspective you know one of advice of guidance of fiduciary of stewardship no one's trying to sell you anything other than you know our process is very sound and these are very sound strategies whether or not they're exactly right for someone in particular that that's to be determined, but, but this is what's done. And we, we, you know, have the chance to assist a lot of folks in this type of situation. these are the strategies and the best practices that we see on a regular basis. So uh, I brought Sam onto a number of these calls and always look to him as a member of my value added support team. So if, if that comes up or if that's something that, uh, is of interest, just always let me know. And I'll certainly uh, reach out if I see that in someone's portfolio. Sam, any other thoughts, I guess, for just strategies for clients at this time, maybe high net worth folks or just, just uh, folks in general that you're seeing in research, sort of some salient points as we start to kind of kind of wrap up that you might want to put out there?
1: Yeah, I think I would just highlight... Within uh, our higher high net worth solutions group, which is called our private client group, those types of folks obviously have access to all of our alternatives, but then also some of our higher net worth solutions like charitable giving, trustee services, those types of things obviously become more and more important for that sort of cohort. Um, And we're certainly helpful, certainly uh, willing to partner with you on that as well.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. For you know, we see that charitable giving. Sometimes people giving away these these concentrated stock positions as a way of reducing it down. Or you know, we loop in their CPAs. Uh, other times, we again we see high net worth folks that want to borrow substantially, right, for business purposes or for other reasons. This this is a holistic wealth management practice. We see all these things. And we've got a a pretty comprehensive um, toolbox of solutions, but it, but it all starts with conversations and it's done in a very custom way to find out what's, what's right for the individual. So we'll have these conversations and we're very comfortable spending a good amount of time up front just to really talk about, to educate clients, you know, to give them the pros and the cons and, and, and then if it, it turns out it's something they're interested in, really show them what that would look like, what it would take to implement something like that and what how that would go. So we'll, we'll walk them through those steps. So Sam, I thank you uh, so much for coming on. We've worked on a, a good number of cases and we'll have a lot more to go. Uh, but this has been a great resource. And I just wanted to introduce you to folks and let folks know there's there's a lot behind the team. It's not uh, simply residing with me and, and some maverick talent. There's a lot of folks I bring on and into the process. So so we're always learning, and we're always adopting best practices and putting those into play. And uh, thank thanks for coming on, and we, we really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, Rob. And, Robert, if listeners want to continue this discussion with you, how can they reach you?
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, all the simple methods, but probably the best thing is to simply send me an email. I'm Curtis C-U-R-T-I-S-S at S-E-I-A dot com. That would probably be best. You're welcome to call my office. My assistant, Stephanie, can help, help set up a time to chat. I'm, I'm on the social media as well, but probably a simple email would be best.
1: And all you listeners, of course, follow this podcast for the newest episodes and share with others. Thanks for being with us.
0: Thank you for listening to the Millionaire Next Door podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Signature Estate and Investment Advisors or Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Alternative investments provide investors with exposure to markets and investment strategies that cannot be assessed through traditional fixed income and equity markets, such as real estate, commodity, or natural resources. Investing in these investments is speculative, not suitable for all clients, and intended for experienced and sophisticated investors who are willing to bear the high economic risks of the investments.